The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome to the Christmas special for Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, the scariest Mrs. Claus ever. I'm not scary. No, you're actually a Yeti. <laughs> but I, I, I digress. I digress. <laughs> you're so mean. Tammy, the Yeti, underwood, and speaking to your goddamn microphone. Okay, how's that? Better? We'll find out. Hi, everybody. So. <laughs> He's always yelling at me to talk in my microphone. Because you have, you have to have better mic, mic discipline, man. No, it's because I keep moving my head. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I bob and weave, bob and weave. <laughs> I've told many of girls that keep moving your head up and down. <laughs> Stop it! Your mom says the next month. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so today we have our Christmas special, and we got the we do the most horrendous things that we could find. Yeah, I came across um, Christmas. Let's see, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, twelve, seventeen different cases. I'm going to highlight today. Holy Jesus Christ! Yeah. Hopefully these are short as shit, huh? Hopefully these are short. Uh, kind of. It's all about twenty-one my pages. Not a big deal. You know me. Jesus <laughs> Christ! I'm be all rimpam winkle bearded. <laughs> you already <and> are. <laughs> kiss my fat hillbilly ass. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> okay, so you and I were talking about, you know, when people think about Christmas, it's always with phrases, Yuletide joy, peace on earth, peace, comfort, and joy, right? Peace you, of ass. That's what I get, think of. You get the picture, right? I do when I think about <laughs> naked girls. Whatever. Dancing in my head. <laughs> Little Asian ones dancing in my bed. Visions of Visions. Girls dancing in my head instead visions, of sugar plums. Visions of Asian girls dancing in my bed. And then cooking and cleaning. Oh, my God. And I said... And not living in a kennel. I want to bring that up. And not living in a kennel. Stressing that. <laughs> stressing that. And they're not free range. They don't have to live in the backyard or my shed either. So, it's actually the one time... It's the one time of the year when people go overboard with kindness towards others. This kindness and stuff that they should be practicing no matter what time of year it is, right? So, if you're like Scott and I, you dread this time of year. Those who are with us know this joy and kindness is just a facade. Come January 2nd, everyone will revert back to their routine, rudeness, bitchiness, and downright assholeness. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you and I know. Oh, yes. I work with assholes every freaking day. And I'm not saying that I'm not an asshole. Oh, no. I mean. I have my asshole moments for some people. And it's not necessarily the people you work with in the company. It's the people you interact with throughout the day. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Some people I, like, okay, and it's really weird because, and this happens actually on both sides of of, of my career. Like, at the trucking gig, I'll go weeks and everybody would just be wonderful. Everything's cool. And then you show up to a dock that you always get there. And it's a new guy, and this dude here steps straight out of a damn trailer park. <laughs> and he, Bullet and all. Oh, yeah. And he's pissed off at the world because somebody stole his last generic beer that just said, burr. And, <laughs> and he, you know, and everything, all of his problems are, are, are your fault type of a thing. And he wants to treat you like shit. <laughs> and you know me in my mouth. I will look at somebody straight up and go, look here, dickweed. I don't know who the hell you think you are. 
But I'll knock the fucking mullet off your head. <laughs> right. You know what? That kind of reminds me because I because I know you and you're like you have no filter when it comes to certain things, right? <laughs> That's a fact. And if you hear somebody saying something, I mean, it could be like a half a block away. You hear somebody comment and you have a smart ass remark, you will turn around and make a comment to them, right? Oh hell yeah, man! Yeah. I'll yell it. <laughs> yeah. If, if somebody sits there and goes, "You ain't got the balls to do that," I'll yell like, "That's what she said." <laughs> You know, so yesterday, before my son and I went to the movies, I can just say this real quick because I just popped in my head. We stopped by a store to get a few snacks to kind of sneak in with us. Snacky snacks. Yeah. And so we're going into the store and I go, oh, it's not as slick as I thought it was. It's more packed. And this guy with his wife looked at me and goes, yeah, I've been saying that about myself for years. I'm not as slick as I thought I was, but I've been packing it on. I go, oh, oh my God. That's not where I thought I was going to but actually, honey, I'm a, I'm a fudge packer. <laughs> No, um, just you know, I'm but gay. I've been packing it on, and I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> Out of nowhere. <laughs> Holy cow, I like that guy already, man. Right? <laughs> so, anyways, this time of year, let's just face it. Christmas is another day of the year. It doesn't guarantee good tidings and happiness. And as with any other day of the year, someone somewhere is doing something bad. It doesn't. Over here, I can guarantee shitty right? weather and fucking <laughs> ice up and down my driveway. <laughs> Dude, it was a it was Zamboni. It was so thin. I mean, so slick. But bad things that happen nearly every other day of the year as well. So do you know why first responders and hospitals don't take the day off? It's because people with nefarious intentions aren't taking the day off either. But they should. <laughs> no, unexpected things happen. People, let me see if you get these references. People start fires because they shouldn't be deep frying a turkey after they've had some adult eggnog. Yes, children, that's a fact. <laughs> children shoot an eye out when they get that Red Ryder BB gun they asked for all year long. <laughs> Because they didn't watch a Christmas story. If they only <laughs> would have watched that leg lamp. <laughs> I want a leg lamp, but I want a real leg. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. God, take all the fun. The taxidermy so, it. So hillbillies dare each other to lick the telephone pole. After all, when someone holds their beer, what's the worst that can happen? Lick it, nothing. <laughs> if you're in Florida. But it doesn't freeze there. I'm I know. I was sure. just saying. So okay, the, uh, the the mutual friend that that Keith and I were talking about. Her name is uh, Jennifer Dahl. Isn't and she from Jacksonville? No, no, no. Oh, okay. She's uh, not from Jacksonville. Thankfully, thank God. Because even she shakes her head about Jacksonville stories. Um, but um, where the hell was I going with this? I got to quit drinking. Um, <laughs> Haven't you only had one? Uh, my brain still. I, oh. It's all the editing and things like that. Oh, I know, right? Um. Oh, we were talking about Jacksonville, Florida, and how I really think it's illegal for somebody to fight or fuck a tree <laughs> with their, with their shirt, shirt on. on. Because every single time, because I told her about the Scotty and Squatch mm-hmm. show, you know, and I said, because every single time that, that uh, Squatch would pull, you know, stuff out of uh, Florida, it's, it always starts with shirtless man <laughs> fights a tree. <laughs> shirtless man humps a tree. And then it's always it's followed up also by a second act. It's always a second act. Yes, always. Like, for example, shirtless man fights a tree, goes to the zoo, knocks out a gorilla, and tries <laughs> to hump a kangaroo. It's always something weird as shit like that. You never hear a shirted man or just a man. It's always a shirtless man. 
It's always shirtless. And let's not forget that shirtless man tried to teach his kids how to play basketball that fondled the cop. Yeah, and then tried to fondle the cop. Like, hey, I like you in that outfit. Right? Are you a stripper, Graham? Because I'm a shirtless guy. Then I just humped the tree. Right? And then, of course, there's the kids get let that get left home alone because their family is so big they get lost in the shuffle. I think okay. that they should be giving their children away. If you have, to have any <laughs> damn kids, you need to like I don't know, leave them on someone's doorstep, take them to the Humane Society, right? You know, make a cage for them. Okay, this is the Labrador Retriever, and this right here is a uh, this is a Golden Retriever. That's Billy. Now he's free, he's up for adoption too. He's had his he's been wormed. He's had his shots. He gets a little bitey. <laughs> he gets a little bitey. <laughs> so, however, there's also another reason emergency services don't take a break. There's because always... I got to quit putting things in my butt that shouldn't be there. <laughs> no. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. <laughs> no, because there's always a possibility. Let's see if you get this reference. A possibility that terrorists will take attendees of an office Christmas party hostage. In that case... Who else would go in to save them? Still not a Christmas movie. I don't it care what you Christmas say. Movie. What the hell is wrong with you? That is a Christmas I will movie. I argue to my dying day, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. It's not my fault that you're mentally retarded, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. It's not my fault. I, you made okay, it bad just water. Just because it happened at Christmas doesn't mean it was a Christmas movie. It is one of the only few true Christmas movies. You have that and A Nightmare Before Christmas. Those are Christmas movies. <laughs> That should be the only Not ones that anybody watching. Christmas is technically a Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what, man. If anybody else is sitting there, I'm going to watch a Christmas carol with my kids because it's bonding. No, you're traumatizing him. Shut your goddamn home. Okay, Cole. <laughs> put on A Nightmare Before Christmas. Put on Die Hard. No, put on The Grinch. Jim Carrey's The Grinch. That okay, is you know what? Funniest. I'm going to give you that one there, but I don't yeah. like Jim Carrey. Cur- I don't like him as a Grinch. I like the original cartoon Oh, really? Grinch. The little, yeah. That's right, because I'll tell you what. In, in, Back in the day. In the live action one, Cindy Lou Who looks like she f- came out of Chernobyl. And so like do some all the Who's. Bad shit. Yeah, they all, they, so they all look all like this is what happens when you spend too long in radiation. You get all fucked up like this. With their little, like, mouse looking faces. Right. Like, I don't want to say hi or, or to them or, or even celebrate. Cr- I want to set mouse traps, you know, and see which one goes snap first. Yeah, uh, but in the cartoon one, Cindy Lou Who is a. Adorable. Like, I feel sorry for our mom. Oh, Grinch, buddy. I understand that you don't like people and everything, but don't don't fuck over the little girl, man. She Look, look at that. She's, She's so, so cute. cute. <laughs> in, in the live action one with Jim Carrey, I look at that kid and I get <laughs> pissed on her. He wrapped her up in the things. He, he's like, jury duty, jury duty, jury duty. <laughs> I love that scene. So, anyways, but my point here is emergencies and accidents happen. But there are also people who continue to commit crimes on Christmas as well. So today I'm going to highlight over two dozen cases that involve people committing horrendous crimes on a day when others are celebrating kindness and their non-dysfunctional families. Crime number one, running out of booze. Dude, I know. Before right? the, you know, like <laughs> before uh, you open that door for your first guest. <laughs> exactly. You're like, oh crap, I'm out of booze and what's this the liquor store is closed no that's a crime you no, should be in is. prison for that that should that, that that's a death penalty Dude, that's you should have is. at least a case of extra liquor in your cover in your closet just hell in case yeah <laughs> hell yeah especially if you're dis- dealing with my dysfunctional family especially if you're even dealing with me <laughs> that's there's not enough liquor in the world for that <laughs> i'm gonna like i said i'm gonna i'm gonna open up my own uh 
my own establishment. <laughs> Liquor in the front, poker in the rear. You're so dumb. My own casino. So no Christmas um, special would be complete if we didn't mention the no. Uh, let's see. No Christmas crime pastime would be complete if we didn't talk about the most infamous Christmas crime of the 20th century. For anyone born after New Year's Eve 1999, you know, party like it's 99.9, I suggest you Google this name right now. John Bonet Ramsey. Oh, yeah. That was that cute yeah. little girl that like, yep. I, I don't, did she disappear or die? No, she died. Okay. Sometime, yeah, sometime between the evening hours of December 25th and the early morning hours of December 26th, 1996, John Bonet Ramsey vanished from her family's upscale home in Boulder, Colorado. She's probably selling crack on the side. <laughs> she was a 16, a six-year-old girl, well known in the circuit of child beauty pageants, and she had won. She had even won several of them, right? She carried a switchblade knife, sold crack, <laughs> she heroin. Him. She pushed him down the steps. That's right. And then another drug dealing six-year-old came to her town and said, hey, this is my turf. And they got into a turf war. Broke her pearl necklace and strewed it on the steps. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what happened. <laughs> Anyways, when her parents, John and Patricia, woke up on December 26th, they discovered an alarming note. Whoever took their daughter was demanding the couple give them a hundred eight thousand dollar ransom for her safe return. Such an odd number, right? Right, right, right. So, as any loving parent would do, they called the authorities. The local police department responded immediately. However, rather than securing the area and declaring it a possible crime scene, they allowed random people to come and go. Therefore, when they discovered what happened next, the entire area was compromised beyond the point of any adequate investigation. You want to know why that is? Because I found out something. What? Did you know that Steven Seagal is a cop in Louisiana? Is he for real? For real. For real, so, for real? For real, for real. They should have called him and said, Steven, we need you. And then he'd have been like, okay, whoop, And he would have, you know, come out and done cop stuff, but in you know? ninja form. That's kind of funny because Latoya Jackson is also a police officer in some Midwest city. <laughs> that scares me, given that Joe Jackson or whatever the hell they're doing. I know. I think it's in, in Indiana or somewhere. That scares me because <laughs> abuse kids yeah. don't make the best they cops. They have a gun. No. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, that's kind of, I, I don't want to get, I don't, I don't want her to pull me over. Now I'm, now I'm terrified. <laughs> scared. Scared. So while the police were upstairs trying to come up with a game plan should the kidnappers call, John actually started going through the house to see if he could find anything that could tell, would tell him who took his daughter. He and everyone else was horrified by what he found in the basement. John Bonet's lifeless body. His daughter was dead and she had been in the house the entire time. An autopsy revealed that she had suffered a skull fracture, but the coroner listed her cause of death as strangulation. So immediately after her body was discovered, the authorities considered Patricia and John were responsible for the death of their daughter. Law enforcement officials theorized that the parents actually wrote the ransom note themselves to throw the authorities off their trail. John and Patricia went through a very thorough public investigation from start to finish. In fact, they were found guilty in the court of public opinion. You remember that? I do. And I do, I do, I do. Before John Bonet's autopsy was complete, everybody was like, they did it. So in the end, there wasn't enough evidence to support that theory. That either committed the murder, so they were both cleared. After John and Patricia were ruled out, some speculated that her older brother Burke might have committed the crime. 
The theories thrown around about this claim were he was jealous at the attention she was getting, he was secretly molesting her and afraid the secret would come out, or he was a budding sociopath and she was his first victim. Okay, which I don't buy into that one because he would still he would be continuing to commit crimes right now. Maybe he is, and he just hasn't been caught. Maybe well, he's good true. at it. Maybe he is. Like for reals, man. Yeah. Come on, give the man, <laughs> give the man a break. Give the man a break. So the authorities, however, also focus on the possibility that a stranger broke into the house sometime during the night because John Bonet was the focus of his sick fantasy. With this theory, it's speculated that this intruder accidentally killed the little girl as he was trying to get her out of the house. Realizing what he had done, he left her body in the basement and fled before anybody woke up. Right? Needless to say, none of these theories have panned out. And the case has remained puzzling to the authorities and the public. And John Bonet's murder has remained unsolved all these years. So, and I always think that was such a tragic one. You know what I mean? And it's always tragic whenever a, a child yeah. dies. You know, that's, that's, that's Well, jacked. and I think that if the authorities would have locked it down as a crime scene, a potential crime scene from the beginning, there might be more answers. But people were allowed to come and go. And walk all over the place and trample through. You know what I mean? Yeah, because that's how we handle an investigation. Yeah, that, you know. They need to call Rochester <laughs> PD, too. <laughs> You're so dumb. So on December 20th, the next one is out of North Carolina in 1929. Um, on December 5th, 1929, the Lawson family, better, was buzzing about their small home in Germantown, North Carolina, on what they thought would be a typical Christmas day. Charlie Lawson was a sharecropper and he had saved a significant amount of money for someone of little means in that era. Charlie took his wife and their seven children to town so they could all buy new clothes. After that, the family went and sat for a professional family portrait. Considering that the Great Depression began earlier that same year, their Christmas activities would have been considered extravagant. The joy and excitement the family enjoyed earlier in the day couldn't have prepared anyone for what happened later. Something so shocking, tragic, and horrific that present-day historians and various researchers are still at a loss when it comes to understanding it. Later that afternoon, or perhaps early in the evening, Charlie systematically murdered his family. What the hell? He st yeah, he started with two of his younger daughters. As they were leaving the house to go over to their aunt and uncle's house, Charlie shot them both. His wife was sitting on the porch, so he immediately shot her next. Once his wife and two daughters were dead, he went back in the house and shot his two younger sons and his oldest daughter. And then he went and shot his infant daughter laying in her crib. His rampage ended when he walked into the woods nearby and committed suicide. Now, if you were paying attention, you'd have noticed I only mentioned six of his seven children, right? The mystery deepens when you find out that Arthur, Charlie's oldest son, was sent to town on an errand by his father right before the rampage began. To this day, nobody knows what motivated Charlie to spare Arthur's life and murder the rest of his family. There has been one rumor floating around for nearly a century, and that was Charlie was having an incestuous relationship with Mary, or Marie, his oldest daughter, when she became pregnant. His guilt and shame were too much for him to bear, so he killed everyone. This theory actually doesn't hold water because there's no evidence to substantiate it. The coroner who performed her autopsy didn't note that Marie was pregnant at the time of her death. So it's like, why did he kill everybody except for his oldest son? Possession by Satan. 
I know, right? Hang on a second. I got to do something real quick. So well, we might have to call in a professional on this one here. <laughs> uh oh, Reverend Beauregard oh, Vine. I was waiting for it. Reverend Bovine, brothers and sisters, I see when stuff like this happens. It's because you guys need to take a step closer to the Lord. That's right, the mighty majestic mountain cows are calling you. The power of the moo, the power for you. Let's all take time to pray. Dear mighty majestic mountain cows, (laughs) why? (laughs) Please guide us so nobody else like crazy Charlie. Murders an entire family on Christmas Day. So Can I get a hallelujah, brothers and sisters? <laughs> hallelujah, brother. That's right. Back to you, Miss Tammy. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, the next case is out of Chicago in 2013. Every college student knows how hard it can be to find affordable housing as they obtain their higher education degree. It's, this has been especially true in the last couple of decades. During the Christmas season of 2013, 18-year-old Alexis Valdez was faced with this hardship and he didn't take it well. His aunt and her live-in boyfriend, Sylvester Diaz Hernandez, were allowing Alexis to live with them as long as he stayed in college, kept his job, and and contributed something towards the bills. That's fair. Right. And he wasn't given a specific rent amount, just like, you know, can help us contribute, right? Right, like pay for a little bit of your food, yeah. you know. Just yeah, how about no? That's that's very fair. Exactly. Makes you not a freeloader. Exactly. Bastards. However, Alexis, typical millennial, didn't hold his end of the bargain. Go figure. At some point prior to Christmas of 2013, he dropped out of school, quit his job, and quit contributing to the bills. Now, Sylvester and Alexis' aunt, who has been na- remained nameless weren't able to support the college dropout any longer, and they told him that he could no longer live with them. Considering the events that transpired next, he didn't take their decision well. Of course not. He's entitled to everything. Right? Freaking millennials. And, oh, okay, let, let me let me clarify. If you are a millennial and you're not like this, like you're not your typical millennial, then I apologize. This isn't for you. The rest of you are self-entitled, self-indulgent yes. shitheads. Most of you are. Yes. So, on December 25th, 2013, Alexis confronted Sylvester about the decision when things escalated to violence. Alexis grabbed a hammer and attacked Sylvester, killing him. Once Sylvester was dead, Alexis set set about mutilating the body as he he dismembered the corpse. In his coup de grace, Alexis decapitated the body... And completely disfigured the face in the process. Then he left the head on his aunt's bed like it was the horse's head in the Godfather. And according to a statement he gave later, the head was a, quote, present for his aunt. Well, wait a minute. This was on Christmas Day? Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah. Rather than run, he called the authorities and told them exactly what he did. When the police arrived, he was covered with blood and didn't try to downplay his actions or excuse his decision. In fact, he later told him that had his aunt been home at the time, he would have killed her as well. What a peach. Oh, I have something in there twice, and I don't know why, but I'll get rid of it. Is it Reverend Beauregard Vine? No, dear. Oh. So anyways, the next one is out of Kentucky in (laughs) in 1881. This is about a little bit of sister humping. Kentucky and freaking Arkansas. Those two right there, man. Yeah. Now, when it comes to horrific crimes that have been committed during the Christmas season, one of the worst may be this case from the late 19th century in Ashland, Kentucky. 
Emma Carrico went next door to stay with her friends, Robert and Fanny Gibbons. Although the three of them were still teenagers, reports indicate they were, quote, young adults. So I'm a, I would venture to say they were probably from 16 to 19, considering the era. Right? Yeah, no, that makes sense, yeah. So they all enjoyed spending time with each other. And since Emma lived with her family next door, they all thought it would be safe for them to spend the evening together. None of them expected what happened in the wee hours of December 24th would ever happen to them. Sometime before dawn on Christmas Eve, three axe-wielding men broke into the house and brutally murdered the three friends. They had to ask them a question. <laughs> to ask you something? <laughs> My name's <laughs> Ashley. <laughs> After they <laughs> completed their rampage, they decided to cover up the carnage by setting fire to the house as they left. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So Emma's mother awoke to see the flames coming from the house next door, and she immediately called for help. By the time somebody got there and the flames were extinguished, the men had fled the scene. Now, as the townspeople were sifting through the charred rubble, they discovered the bodies of the three victims. Right? Now, the authorities weren't able to figure out what motivated these men to commit such a horrific crime. However, George Ellis, a local man, eventually confessed to being involved. He also named his two accomplices, William Neal and Ellis Kraft. After all, after all three were in custody, the authorities actually held them in an undisclosed location because there was fear that a lynch mob would make, take matters into their own hands. Go figure, Kentucky. Hang them high, boys. Hang them high. Right? Get a rope. <laughs> so approximately one year later, all three men were found guilty and received their sentences. William Neal and Ellis Croft were given the death penalty so they would hang for their crimes. George Ellis was given a life sentence in prison. Locals weren't happy with the outcome, so on the night of his conviction, a lynch mom took matters into their own hands and exacted their own Old West justice. I'm all for that. Yeah. They said that he, he, they, like, took revenge. And then he didn't have pace but sauce. Right. He got it from New York City. New York City? <laughs> <laughs> no. Next one is out of California in 2008. Now, for those that think killers dressed in Santa outfits are only reserved for the B-horror movies that Scott and I love, wait until you hear about this one. On December 24, 2008, in Covina, California, the Ortega family was gathering around the table for their traditional Christmas Eve dinner. Up until that point, they'd enjoyed spending time with their family. Little did they know it was only a matter of minutes before their happiness turned to horror. Around the time the family was getting ready to start eating their feast, Sylvia Ortega's ex-husband, Bruce Pardo, arrived. Since he had never been in, since he was not invited, his arrival was completely unexpected. He was dressed in a traditional <coughs> Santa suit, and rather than toys for the girls and boys, he had brought multiple firearms. I'm here for your Christmas sleigh. <laughs> Oh my God! Isn't that Black Christmas or something? I'm trying to remember, there was there's so many good movies with a killer Santa Claus that be rated, <laughs> and they're terrible to everybody else, but to me, they're just they're, they're this is cinematic Funny. genius. <laughs> so <clears throat> Bruce burst through the door and methodically murdered Sylvia, her family, and her new husband. As soon as everyone was dead, he left the house. You would think that the, his rampage was complete, but you'd be wrong. He burned the Ortega's house down using a, hand, a homemade flamethrower. When it was all over, nine people were dead. Dude, he's, for, he's off for the zombie apocalypse. No. This, I want this guy on my side. <laughs> right? 
So rather than face justice for his premeditated murder spree, Bruce took, Bruce took what I would consider the coward's way out. A couple of hours later, he was at his brother's house when he took his own life. Right? I. <clears throat> okay, the next one <laughs> is out of Florida in 1951. Oh, this is going to be good. It's out of Florida. Actually, it, it's very tragic, actually. Because oh, usually everything out of Florida is just I know, up. but I mean, you're going to be like, yep, I, I saw that coming. So when it comes to American history, the civil rights movement is considered to be the most monumental eras in our past. Even from the very beginning, though, anyone who spoke up for the equality of black Americans knew their life and the lives of their loved ones were in danger. There were also several historic accounts that documented the misguided actions of white supremacists, especially the Ku Klux Klan. Man, it, why you got to be mean to the Klan for? Oh, no. Wait. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm no getting ready to have a rally here and meetings. My hood's all clean. My hood's clean in the hood. That's right, <laughs> man. Because you live in the hood. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a real white Christmas. Um, <laughs> that's messed, messed up. I know. No, so, I don't belong to the Klan, guys. I'm well, just, I'm just fucking with y'all. Let's not forget; it's no secret this this predominantly white male-run organization, unbeknownst to them, inducted a black law enforcement official high into the ranks in the later years of the civil rights movement. Right? Because I mean, there's a mo- Spike Lee did a movie called The Black Klansman. So, whenever a white person lent their voice against the oppression of black citizens, they knew they were considered a target. Harry and Harriet Moore, yes, Harry and Harriet from Florida. That is a shocker. From Mims, Florida, were a couple of the loudest voices in the South during the early 1950s. On December 25th, 1951, the couple, along with their young daughter, were celebrating Christmas like they did every year. That day, Harry and Harriet weren't just celebrating Christmas with the daughter. It was also their 25th anniversary. Like a swing, are you listening? (laughs) In the trees, that's a glistening. Oh, no, it's even worse. No way. Yeah, little did they know it'd be a, it would be a day many would remember for the rest of their lives. Prior to the festivities, somebody placed a bomb under their house and set it to detonate during the celebration. Damn. When the bomb went off, Harry and Harriet were killed instantly. Their daughter's life was thankfully spared because she was on the other side of the house when the bomb where they, which wasn't impacted by the explosion. It didn't take a seasoned investigator to know that the bomb was placed by the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan because they wanted to silence the voices of Harry and Harriet. They were very vocal about that. That's jacked, man. Like, okay, I, know, right? I, I make a lot of, of, of racist jokes and things like that about every race, white people, black people. Oh, matter. yeah. But honestly, God, man, that is tremendously just fuckered up. Well, and it gets even Jesus. worse. Jesus. Unfortunately, the authorities weren't able to arrest the KKK members responsible for this attack. Within a year of the bombing, two of the suspects were dead. Their deaths were the result of natural causes. The third suspect was interrogated by the FBI on two separate occasions and paranoid the feds were going to make an arrest in an effort to evade prosecution. He committed suicide. So the KKK had hoped the bombing would prevent others from speaking out against inequality. However, it backfired on them. Pun or no pun intended. I don't care. 
The deaths of Harry and Harriet sparked a flame with the civil rights cause and resulted in anger towards the Klan across the nation. Good. And several protests took place after the bombing, which empowered the movement further. And it's said to it might have actually sparked the, you know, like we got to make a change now. And I agree, man. Yeah. I've said this before on a very serious note. All my jokes aside is that, you know, hate people for the assholes that they are. Not because sure, everybody is one, right? Not for the, the their skin color, their religion, their creed, anything like that, man. Because yeah, their sexual preference, right? Their, yeah, none of that. Because trust me, man, you can find bad things about everybody that you can hate. Focus on that. Go, this dude's a dick. Why he drives a Chevy Silverado? Obviously, it's it's you know he's got a freaking <laughs> five foot lift kit on it, so he's got a small penis, and it's a Chevy. Um, <laughs> I told you there's a place in my old hometown that has like three three jack trucks, like lifted trucks. It's like, dude, that's the small are penis you making club. a statement? <laughs> that's the small penis club. That's what that is right there. That is the, uh, you know, like, I look great until they drop their pants and a woman, and the ladies go, <laughs> my God, how cute. It's like a penis, only smaller. <laughs> that's adorable. I should say that next time somebody sends me a random dick pic. Like, hold on, hold on. Like, I got I gotta this call looks my like s- a penis, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I need to call my sister. Hold on. No, I swear to God, it's smaller than your new babies. Like, so, can I get a picture of that, please? Can I? Oh, uh, you're you're crying. Why are you crying? <laughs> like, just own it. Just own it. You know, you you have a penis that's smaller than a baby's. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a lifted truck, so we kind of guessed. <laughs> so. Yeah, lifted truck means small penis. Big vehicle means short man. <laughs> Just saying. So the next case is out of London in 2010. Christy Bamu, a male, and four of his siblings were living in Paris when they decided to spend the holidays with M- M- Magali, their older sister, in London. What seemed like a joyous family holiday reunion turned south quickly when things got out of control. Christy lost his life on December 25th. 2010. However, it was the events that transpired in the days before his death that are the most horrific parts of this tale. Megali Bamu was was a typical 29-year-old woman living with her boyfriend, Eric Bikubi, in a London apartment. When Christy and his younger siblings arrived at Megali's, everything seemed normal. However, at some point, something happened and it turned to horror. For some unknown reason, Eric suddenly accused Christy and the other siblings of practicing kendoki in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Hang tight, hang tight. Is that a sexual position? No. Like, I'm serious because I've no, never even heard of that. I'm, no, I'm going to get to it here in a second. Sounds so, like, in the Democratic painful. Republic of the Congo, where the family was originally from, kendoki was a form of witchcraft thought to be practiced by people with evil intentions. So at first he accused all five siblings of performing this black magic. However, it didn't take long for him to focus his his attention on Christy alone. For several days, Eric tortured Christy with various weapons, specifically pliers and knives. Then in an effort to exercise Christy of the evil possessing him, Eric attacked him with a chisel and hammer. The entire time, Megali stood back and let her boyfriend mutilate her brother. The ent- Finally, 
wait, on December 25th, Eric ended Christie's ordeal by drowning him in a bathtub. When it was all or over, Eric said he did it because he had brain damage, which caused the paranoia. Hang on just a second here. Um, that led to his belief that Chrissy was a black witch. Megaly, on the other hand, actually told the courts that she didn't hold she didn't hold to her ancestors' belief in the witchcraft. For that reason, the fact that she stood back and watched the events transpire is even more horrifying than Eric committing them. Wait a minute, maybe he was legit possessed. Well, he might have been, but why would she just sit back and let it happen? Because he was like her brother was possessed and they're trying oh, to exercise him. Could have been. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there because I believe in spiritual shit. And, right. you know, maybe that's what happened. We don't know. I mean, it's a little bizarre that you went at him with pliers and things like that. Pliers, knives, a chisel and a hammer? No kidding. Matter of fact, hold on, hold on. Reverend, Reverend. Oh, dear God. Brother Scott. Come here, come here, come here. What can I do for you, Brother Scott? Does it have anything in the book of the Mighty Majestic Mountain Cows specifically on torture? Hold on one second. Okay, we see here in Calrithians 1.3, it says, Thou shalt not chisel another man when trying to extricate the demon from him. Can I get a hallelujah, brothers and sisters? Hallelujah. See, we all agree. Thank you, mighty majestic mountain cows, for your guidance. Back to you, Tammy. Thank you. Praise the moon. <laughs> Praise. <laughs> Whatever. The next one comes out of California in 2010. This horrific case transpired in Los Angeles, California, on December 25th, 2010. A 20, this one's sad, so sad. A 25-year-old nurse, Kashmir James, along with her three-year-old daughter, Nivia, went to a friend's house for Christmas. After the festivities, Kashmir... Are you laughing? No. Oh. Joking. Nivia to the car and placed her in the car seat. With her daughter secure, Kashmir opened the driver's door to climb in the car herself, and as she was about to get behind the wheel, three men rolled up and shot her to death in a drive-by. Although Nivea wasn't harmed by the bullet, she witnessed the whole thing from her car seat in the back. The police held a press conference in an effort to catch the shooters. At some point, someone gave Nivea the microphone, and everyone who turned into the broadcast heard the toddler's heartbreaking request to... Please help my mommy. The authorities were eventually able to apprehend the men responsible for the shooting. And through the various court proceedings, the public found out something that made her death even worse than it, what it was already. The boys responsible for her murder were 16-year-old gang members ordered to carry out a gang killing. However, that's not even close to being the most horrific part. It turns out that the drive-by shooting that killed Kashmir in front of her, thir her three-year-old daughter was a mistake. They thought she was the person they were ordered to kill, but she just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. In other words, a three-year-old girl watched her mother get gunned down in front of her on what should have been a joyous day for no reason. See, that kid's going to grow up to hate Christmas like I did. Yep, it was just a case of mistaken identity That's and bad jacked, timing. man. Yep. Isn't that horrible? That is. That's, that's, that's actually really super heartbreaking. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's like, no. Now, the next one is out of Arkansas on, in 1987. This is a sick one. Now, Ronald Gene Simmons, no relation, of Dover, Arkansas, wanted to spend Christmas in 1987 with his family. So he thought, 
or so they thought. He began calling his children on December 22nd and made arrangements for all of them, along with their families, to visit for the holidays. Little did they know he had something more sinister in mind. For the next couple of days, all of his children arrived at the pre-scheduled time with their family in tow. As each group entered the house, Ronald killed every member of his family. This systematic slaughter took place over a four-day period. On December 26, 14 members of Ronald's family were dead. After killing them, he lined their corpses up in neat little rows at his house. According to reports, one of Ronald's many victims was one of his daughters. In a twist, he had been sexually abusing her for several years. In fact, one of her children was fathered by him. The authorities believe that his motivation for the murders was because this information was about to become public. However, killing his family wasn't the only thing he did. After his family was dead and their bodies were lined up, he spent December 27 just lounging around the house, drinking beer and watching TV, right? On December 28th, he woke up and went on another killing spree. He drove to Russellville and visited a couple places of his old old employment places. And there, and at those locations, he shot a total of six people. Two died, four were seriously injured. He then went and shot a woman who had rejected his romantic advances. After the murdering the woman who rejected him, he remained at the scene talking to those around him as if nothing happened. In fact, he didn't seem to be concerned that the police were on their way. Eventually, he was found guilty by a jury of his peers and given a death sentence. He was executed by lethal injection on June 25th, 1990. Jesus Christ, man. I know. Isn't that horrible? Yeah. This next one is out of Missouri in 1895. Now, when it comes to post-war musicians that predate the well-known greats of the 50s like Elvis, the name Lloyd Price would be at the top of that list. Although Price died in 2021, the 88-year-old's greatest and most popular song was Stagger Lee. Some people don't know that the song was based on a true story. It's a tale of a fight and murder that took place in Missouri during the Christmas of 1895. Um... According to reports, Billy Lyons, a levee worker, got into an argument with Lee Shelton, an entrepreneurial carriage driver in a North St. Louis saloon. The argument quickly came to blows. And the important part of this story is that Shelton was also a member of a group of pimps in the area known for wearing fancy clothes that the locals called Max. Another important factor is that Shelton's street name was Stagley or Stackley. I don't know. He was often seen roaming around St. Louis's red light district that the locals called Deep Morgan. And more specifically, he was frequent visitor of their most popular brothel. Do you know what the name of this place was? Scotty's House. Bucket of Blood. Ah, let's go. For a brothel? Hell yeah. <laughs> That's period loving right there. Line them up. <laughs> this is a period piece. <laughs> so sick. So although Price's song suggests that the two men were in a heated discussion about gambling, that wasn't the case. Lyons and Shelton were fighting about politics. In the middle of their argument, Lyons reached up and took Shelton's expensive and prized Stetson hat from his head. When Shelton tried to get it back, Lyons refused to give it to him. In fact, reports at the time indicate that Lyons said to him, I'm going to make you kill me. And apparently, Shelton did that. He hit Lyons with his 44 caliber gun before he shot him in the stomach. 
Price's song also said that Shelton was executed for the murder, which is also false. He only received 25 years in prison. He was paroled in 1909, but succumbed to tuberculosis three years after that. Isn't that horrible? That's jacked, man. Actually, it's kind of funny, but it not It is, funny. but it's still kind of jacked. I know. I'm just over here enjoying the, the Christmas stories. <laughs> and, one, and wondering why I talked to you since you won't admit that Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Because it's not a Christmas movie. It is a freaking Christmas movie. It is not a Christmas movie. It never has been a Christmas movie. You know who movie. says that? You know who says that? Terrorists. That's who say that. <laughs> the ones that take over the office. <laughs> That's right. Ones that take over the Nakatomi Towers. And yeah, I think you're the, I think you're one of them. Osama bin Tammy. Whatever. <laughs> okay, so this next one. <laughs> I hate you. This next one's out of California in 2011. Zazel Preston and her husband, William Wall. I think I talked to you about this one. Went to a Christmas party with her three children. They had an eight-year-old daughter, a three-year-old daughter, and a newborn son. Shortly after they returned home, the couple got into an argument. According to testimony from the oldest daughter, during the argument, Wallace pushed Zazel down and she fell through a glass table. She said that she began helping her mother remove the glass from her body when her father picked Zazel up and carried her to the bathroom and dropped her down on the floor. Damn. The daughter doesn't know what happened after that. The next thing she remembered... Her mother was sitting on the couch, and Wallace was ordering her and her sister to open their presents. And he said, Mommy ruined Christmas. She got drunk and ruined Christmas. Prosecutors later stated that Zazel's death was the result of years of domestic abuse. Her family told the courts about Wallace's history of assaulting his wife through the years. The heartbreaking part of this whole story is the oldest daughter's court testimony about the events that transpired on that Christmas morning. She said... I remember trying to touch my mom, and she was just rock hard, cold. And I said, Mommy, and she didn't respond. Now, although Wallace faced a multitude of charges, the jury only found him guilty of second-degree murder. You want to know why? Because they all understood that, he, that she was not doing her wifely duty. She wasn't making sandwiches. <laughs> wasn't cleaning You know the house. what? You're lucky you have something between us, because I'd chuck something at your head right now. Why? Because you can't make sandwiches either? God dang. Damn women in these day in this day and age. Yeah, but Zazel's mother took the stand during the witness impact statements, and she said he beat and tortured my daughter, and at the same time mentally assassinated her children. He showed no mercy. Let's show him no mercy. In the end, the guy only received fifteen years in prison. That's jacked, and that's sad. Fucking abusers, man. Now let's see here. Let's. I guess I can. Whip through the rest of them. This one happened in Washington in 2007. According to reports, the events that transpired over the horrific Christmas Eve murders in Carnation, Washington, 2007, wasn't a question of guilt. Rather, it was a question of what the state should do with the two people convicted of the crime. Court records indicate that Michelle Anderson and Joseph McEnroe, her boyfriend, pled guilty to all the charges that stem from a series of events over an eight-hour period that left six people dead. Here's what happened. Michelle and her boyfriend murdered her parents, Wayne and Judy, first. The couple was killed inside the house and then dragged outside. Once her parents were dead, Michelle waited for her brother Scott and his family to show up. When Scott, his wife Erica, their five-year-old daughter Olivia, and three-year-old son Nathan arrived, they were also attacked. 
Sounds like the Partridge family on tour right? or something. Jesus Christ. Erica managed to survive long enough to place a 911 call to 911 dispatch. During the trial, prosecutors claimed the couple's motivation boiled down to jealousy. According to court documents, Michelle was jealous of Scott and his family. In fact, she, saw, she thought that they had cheated her out of some of the family's money. Joseph even testified against Michelle. On the stand, he told the jury she treated me like an attack dog, a guard dog, right before he told them what happened on the night of the crime. He finished his testimony by saying, it's smoky. It smelled of blood and death. Wait a minute. So did Michelle kill him or did this dude? Both of them did. Okay. I just want to make sure I'm following correctly. In the end, the courts found them both guilty and they were both given six terms of life without the possibility. I say hanging both high, too. I know, Greed. right? That, that, that's why I was saying. Because she was jealous over not getting what she thought she was owed. It, that's ridiculous. Like, yeah. Because my, my brother feels the same way. Like, when him and I were still talking, he was always bitching about, yeah, well, when dad dies, I'm entitled to, and fill in the blanks, you know, for right. the money part. And I straight out told him, I don't give two shits about the money. If yeah. If you want it, take it. Take that's all you got to do. Talk to the attorneys. Take it. And he has said the same thing about, like, whenever my mom kicks off, you know, like, I'm going to get, da, da, da. you know what, if you want the money, take it. Right. I don't care. Money totally. doesn't mean jack crap to me in, in the grander scheme of things. Right. Exactly. So the next one happened. Hang on. My lips. Phil, my brother Phil will probably be the one who wants to murder me if I get a dime. You know what? Probably. I wanted that dime. He's going to, like, come at me. I need a, that a, damn nickel. Yeah, no, that's him. That's him. It's full greed. So this next one happened in Texas in 2011. Sometime around 1130 a.m. on December 25th, 2011, the Grapevine Police Department in Texas received a cryptic call to their 911 call center. According to transcripts, the person who called in only whispered a quiet, help me, before the call disconnected. When law enforcement officials arrived at the location of the call, they were greeted with a grisly scene that concluded that... They concluded happened when the family was in the process of opening their gifts. They discovered the bodies of seven people who had been murdered in this grapevine apartment. Did the, wait a minute, were, were they like wrapped up in wrapping paper? No. Like they were opening up gifts going, oh, is this a Nintendo or whatever? A leg? No. That's not what I wanted. No. Just listen. Apparently, Az, and I know I'm going to butcher his last name, Aziz Yazanpana. That's okay. You can butcher it. He's not listening. <laughs> He's not. <laughs> really. You want to know why? Because we don't go, and then we did my slurping machine. No, he's not listening because he's dead. Oh, well, there you go. Definitely. Well, you can't see us. Dead, guy, dead yeah. guys don't see you. Yeah. He arrived at the apartment of his estranged wife, Nasirin, wearing a Santa Claus outfit. As soon as the ho, door opened, ho, he, ho. Yeah, he began shooting everyone inside. When it was all over, he murdered his wife. His son, Ali, his daughter, Nona, his brother and sister-in-law, Hossein and Zore Ramadi, and their daughter, Sarah Zari. Before the police arrived, he shot himself as well. Since Aziz committed suicide before anyone could find out why he went on the rampage, nobody knew what his motivation was. Except that his sleeping machine was broken. Yeah. However... Law enforcement still resorted to interviewing family and friends, you're so bad, of those who lost their lives in what they referred to as the worst homicide we've ever seen. Um, Here's the picture that everyone painted. Aziz was a former mortgage broker who got out of the business, but not before he suffered financially. Nasrin owned a successful beauty salon. 
The pressure of being a failure while his wife succeeded became too much for him, and he snapped. Even so, Sergeant Robert Everling issued a statement that said, we really don't have a clear idea why he did this. Sometimes there's not really a good explanation for irrational behavior. Right? Isn't that sad? No, not really. Well, my, my whole thing is it's, it goes to the cultural expectations, you know? Right, right, right. So, okay, the next one happened in West Virginia in 1945. Now, um, oh, this one's really weird, too. This one's like, whoa, wait a minute. The following events took place in Fayetteville, West Virginia on December 24, 1945. According to the Smithsonian, nobody really knows what actually <laughs> happened that day. I knew you were going to laugh at that. Well, that's because the Smithsonian is still after you because they want a live Sasquatch. Oh, you think so, but no. Dude, so, I saw them trying to dart you. I was just a little quicker and a little bit better aim. A little more charming. <laughs> that's right. I went here, squatchy, squatchy, squatchy. You went, so, however, nobody at the time or since then believes that what happened was an accident. According to reports and possibly even some lore, here's what happened. Jenny Sauter, the mother, woke up in the middle of the night because she thought she heard a noise on the roof. She sat up and kept listening. But when she didn't hear the noise again, she went back to bed. She was only in bed for about 30 minutes when she woke up again. George Briggs, an author for West Virginia Unsolved Murder, states that she suddenly woke up the second time because her house was on fire. She hurried through the house trying to arouse the rest of her family so they could get out safely. When her neighbors noticed that the solder house was on fire, they tried calling the fire department. The station, which was only approximately 2.5 miles away, nobody... So, since the station was only 2.5 miles away, nobody can explain why it took the firefighters almost seven hours to respond to the alarm. Donuts. They were hanging out with the cops. They wanted donuts. Dude. However, that's not the strange part. Reports indicate that five of the soldered children perished in the fire. Because a no. big UFO came down <laughs> and wiped out a Trent Park. In West Virginia, yeah, I can hear that. And then on top of that, I knew I'd never get that Tupperware back from Joe Lane. You're so bad. So, 14-year-old Maurice, 12-year-old Martha, 9-year-old Louis, 8-year-old Jenny, and 5-year-old Betty. Right? But this story gets even more bizarre. When investigators sifted through the charred remains of the solder house, it's what they didn't find that's puzzling. They expected to find the burned bodies of the five children who died in the fire. What they actually found were only a few bone fragments and the remains of a few internal organs. That's that UFO. You know. One almost got my El Camino. Yeah. Even though the investigation wasn't finished and the crime scene wasn't released back to the family, George Solder, the father bulldozed the burnt-out shell of a house and planted a bunch of flowers on top. He said it was for his children, but it's still not clear whether they were really dead or just gone missing. Then, there were some other strange things that occurred. For instance, there was a man that had stopped by the house to sell George and Jenny fire insurance. However, when they declined to purchase a policy, he left, but he wasn't happy about the rejection. Then there's a na the neighbors had noticed that strange people appeared to be watching the solder house, but especially the children. And then there were the strange phone calls the family kept getting before the telephone wires were cut. I told you, it's a UFO! Yeah. All of these questions remain unanswered and make this a true unsolved mystery. Is it a UFO, Scott? It's a UFO. 
I tell you what, Squatch, one almost got my El Camino. Okay, Jethro, <laughs> tell me about it. All right, all right. There I was. I had just put sweet baby Jenny to bed. She bit me twice, but she looked at me and said, Daddy, I'm sorry for biting you. I love you. Actually, what she said was, but I knew what she meant. And I saw it up in the sky like a big old ball far. And it came down. And it almost got my El Camino, but I was fast. I covered it up with some branches, and it flew on by. (laughs) You're so dumb. I was a skirt. Were you scared? I was a scared. I don't want to get no butt probing done or nothing. I just watched that South Park episode <laughs> where Carmen gets butt probe. It's not comfortable. I don't even let the doctor do that to me. <laughs> Anyways, this last one is also out of Florida in 1944. This one's tragic, too. Right after Christmas 1944, 15-year-old Willie Howard was murdered. What makes the story so tragic is that the people who killed him felt they were completely justified. After all, the young black teenager had the nerve to give his white co-worker a Christmas card. According to the reports, Willie signed the card with L, love, right? The next day, he gave the girl a letter apologizing for being so forward. In the letter, he said that he hoped someday black and white people could be equal. He ended the letter with a small poem. I love your name. I love your voice. For an S.H. sweetheart, you are my choice. Cute, right? That's adorable, yeah. Yeah, no. The receiver of the card was young Cynthia Goff. According to reports, her father was less than thrilled that Willie had made advances towards his daughter. He and two of his friends went over to the Howard house and kidnapped Willie. From there, they went to Willie's father's place of employment and took him. Then they drove both of their captives to the Suwannee River, which runs north to south, just east of the Panhandle in Florida. And they held a gun on Willie and told him that he had two choices, jump into the river or get shot where he was standing. Here's what Willie's mother stated in an affidavit later. Her husband returned home and told her that their son wouldn't be returning ever. Willie's body was pulled from the river the next day, and he was buried right away. His family didn't hold a funeral for the teenager, and they moved out of town a little bit later. According to newspaper articles about the case, nobody was ever arrested for the crime. Therefore, nobody was held accountable or put on trial for a jury of their peers to decide their fate. That's jacked, man. Isn't that jacked? Like, seriously, fuck, man. Yeah. It's, I can't believe people were that stupid then. Like, I know. Like, for real. I know. It's, I keep thinking about It's like, you know, how stupid were people... But there's still people that are that stupid. You know the, what I mean? The, they really are. And the Negro can't be with the whites. You know? Yeah. <laughs> if you're thinking that, then you're a moron. Just let people love one another. I know. Doesn't affect you. Exactly. So that's all I... I mean, I had a couple other ones, but they're kind of like a little lamer. So, But I'll have them on the blog when we post it. But, you know, it just goes to show that evil's still out there no matter what time of year it is. And... We need to remember that not everybody has a joyous time this time of year. This has been the special Christmas slaying. Oh, my God. You like that one? I did, kind yeah, of a little I, bit. I like that one too, yeah. there, too. Ho, ho, chop em up, Joe. <clears throat> You're so bad. I probably have a million other ones, but I need more booze, I guess. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium. Crime Beat on Medium. And wherever you get your blogs. Uh, let's see. Check out the YouTube channel. 
Give us some love on Facebook because the Facebook page is looking freaking sad as hell, which is well, weird. I was, no, because I was going to say, we can, we talk about that. And I think it's because not a lot of people use Facebook anymore. Maybe not, but here's a Okay, let's hear it. Listen here, you listening bastards. I know that we got a damn good following, okay? We do. But the Facebook page, you guys are failing me on. And I'm disappointed in you. And Santa Claus is disappointed in you, too. No. Lump coal. Lump coal for you all. Jury dirty, jury dirty, jury dirty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. This show's copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. Remember, if you're hearing this on any others, buddy, anybody else's show, they're lying, thieving bastards. We will see you guys later. Have a Merry Christmas, people. Bye-bye. Bye.